This church is not beige, it is technicolor. And you are uh, called by God to show forth his excellencies. Nothing, nothing mediocre about the calling. Nothing, nothing minor about the significance of the Savior. Jesus, let's talk about him for a minute. Go to Isaiah 28, and we're going to read what Isaiah prophesied to ancient Israel foretelling this rescuer that was going to come on the scene. And the description that the Lord speaks, in fact, it says in verse 16 of Isaiah 28, I'm reading the New American Standard. You read along in yours, uh, you'll get different variations on it. But the basics is such a proclamation of hope and solidity and help, so foundational. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone, firmly placed. Ever since I was a kid, growing up in Southern California, I loved rocks. Um, we, had, we had cliffs and we had uh, mountainous areas in the terrain where I lived. Uh, my, uh, my grandfather was a rock hound meaning that he would go and collect different, he was into a little like a little geology kind of a thing. We had granite boulders on our, our creeks and streams that I would run, you know, that were weather-worn and gigantic. They were the size of a, a car, you know, and we'd jump up and down and run around the, the you know, as kids do. And um, my next door neighbor had uh, decorative gravel in the sides of his driveway instead of of grass, and I used to go over to Mr. Tuttle's and search for diamonds, because it was sort of, it was crystalline looking, you know, I found out later that it was, you know, like quartz or something, but, um, you know, I, even walking in the creeks around here, I'm always looking for arrowheads and things like that. I appreciate stone. In fact, we had formica tops like everybody from the mid-century modern uh, you know, for mica, but then people, it occurred to people that these uh, granite tops are more uh, like what God had in mind for our kitchens, right? <laughs> because, you, you know, we had a, vis a guest from another country come and helping us cook and put a hot pan on it. I guess she, she was used to uh, stone. And, um, but the, the, the formica is another word for plastic. And uh, this, Isaiah's not prophesying about plastic. He's not prophesying about flimsy. He's not prophesying about something unsubstantial. In fact, at the core of everything is someone called a stone, a tested stone. Now get this, a costly cornerstone. And if you know anything about uh, building and, and architecture and engineering, a cornerstone is very important to a structure, and it's firmly placed. It's firmly placed. Um, and he who believes in it will not be disturbed. <laughs> Have you ever been accused of being disturbed? <laughs> well, <laughs> there are a lot... Of, all, jo all joking aside, there are a lot of disturbances in the world around us, okay? 
We know that. And uh, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famine and pestilence and so forth. And during, even during COVID, there were not one but two significant locust swarms, one that hit an area in Africa and another, I don't recall where the other place was, but just insult to injury, you know, just multi-layered challenges, societal challenges and waves and cycles. Um, and I'm saying this not to agitate you, and I don't need to over-clarify it because you already know, but, but what I really do want to emphasize is how solid this foundation is. He said a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for a foundation. Look at this, for the foundation. Everybody say foundation. Timothy talked about all the winds and trends, and, and, and the Paul told Timothy, Paul rather, he said, nevertheless, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. So when you and I, we have a belief system anchored on who he is, and we understand Jesus in his mission and his presence and his purpose and his consistency, uh, his abiding faithfulness and anticipation of what he's about to, to consummate at the end of the age, uh, and that we have eternity to enjoy with him, uh, we will not be disturbed. Say this with me. I shall not be moved. I shall not be moved. So in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, it says, having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore. So I just want you to see from what the prophet Isaiah is telling that God is bringing not a philosopher like Socrates or Plato or Aristotle. He's not bringing another world religion with all its variables and all its viewpoints. He's giving us a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone, firmly placed. I was watching one of these. Again, I still am interested in stones, you know. Uh, when we buy jewelry for our wedding, you know, the, the, the people tend to buy a diamond for the, for the engagement ring. You know, rubies are an amazing, you know, uh, it's my favorite, my wife's favorite beautiful red stone, you know, it reminds you of the blood of Jesus and it's a rich, beautiful color. And, uh, and yet what we have here is more precious than gems. It, what we have here you know, in, in hand is the word of the living God that points us to this amazing foundation and this amazing helper who is available and is present. And whoever believes in this, in it, we could also say in him. Yeah. Jesus is this foretold one. He's the chief cornerstone. In some cases rejected by men, but he's precious in the sight of God. And as we come up a couple of weeks to Easter, the Bible says even the cross is to those who are perishing. It's just foolishness. But to those who are being saved, us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Something happened on the cross that alleviated our debt load. Jesus, the debt of certificate was nailed, that was hostile against us, was nailed to the tree. Jesus, he took away the sins of people, past, present, and future, so that whoever would call upon him and trust him would experience a rescue, would experience salvation, and would be delivered. And the Bible says, he that the sun sets free is free indeed. Are you happy in here today? 
I sure am. And in fact, whoever believes in it will not be disturbed. The King James Version says, will not make haste, meaning will not be impulsive, will not get, you know, nervous, will not be all flustered and all freaked out. I want to go to uh, an interesting verse uh, in uh, 1 Peter. We're going to read 1 Peter right now because I just am being led by the Holy Spirit in this direction for you today. 1 Peter, and we're going to read chapter 5. And uh, I want to show you something about the goodness of our God. 1 Peter 5, 7. I'll read it in the uh, New American Standard. It says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Have you ever heard this verse before? We're to cast all of our anxieties upon him. The New King James says, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Now this contains a play on words where your care becomes God's care. And uh, if you read the original language in the Greek, it helps us and it adds dimension um, that you don't see evident in our English translations. The word care and cares in these verses actually are two different Greek words. One is marimna and the other is meno. Marimna, our cares, um, it, it denotes anxiety, worry, nervous tension, stress, distraction, preoccupation with insecurity. Uh, it suggests the kind of thoughts that vex us, that trouble us, that get us unhappy, that get us unsettled, and keep us from the peace of mind that we need. Jesus used this word uh, when he said to his disciples in Matthew 6, that famous chapter about worry and care. I think he said five times, do not worry. He said, take no anxious thought for your life. Uh, so when we read this verse, he who believes in it will not be disturbed. We're not invited into some sort of mind-numbing, uh, sort of painkiller opiate for our brain where we just mouth-breathe and walk through ignoring the problems. True Christianity actually insists that we acutely face realistically with what we're dealing with. All through the Bible, he says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, say, but the Lord, but the Lord will deliver them out of them all. And you say, well, why, if God's so good and he really cares about me, why does my back hurt? Why did my teenager do that? Why did I do that? What's going on with my marriage? What about the $98 it took to put gas in my truck? And on and on and on. Why the wars and rumors of wars? God, why God, why? You know, it is actually clarified pretty uh, significantly throughout Genesis all the way to Revelation. It's not God's fault. God created everything beautiful. He created everything intentionally. He made all things to enjoy. He, it was his, for thy pleasure we are created. He was pleased. In fact, he said in Genesis several times, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then when he made Adam to have a companion Eve, then he said it is very good. And he told us to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth and and. and, and in this is my Father glorified, that we bear much fruit. But then, 
an evil being that rebelled prior to this that had rebelled against God named Lucifer slithered into the garden setting and tempted and tricked Adam and Eve. Sadly, our prototype couple, the genesis of humanity, forfeited the authority that God delegated to them. Along with it, the collateral damage of alienation and separation. And in fact, the devil was saying, does God really love you? Did God really tell you the truth? He's withholding from you. You know, you actually will be like God if you'll eat this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Read it. It's not allegory. It's real. I literally believe it. I remember a guy on a, a night talk show uh, belittling people who believed in the Bible literally. He, he's now in a terrible state. I'm believing God for his healing. But I remember when he mocked those, the things of God and my mother-in-law said, I'm done. I'm not ever watching another movie by that guy. And now he's in trouble. I believe in God he'll be healed and delivered. And in his moment, he'll come to know the Lord. But whether people mock or not, my Bible says he who believes in it will not be disturbed. So that my goal on Sunday mornings is to reinforce and nurture you through this pandemic on the foundational truths that, yes, there is a God. He's reliable. His word is reliable. It's inspired by God and it's profitable. It's a faithful guide for faith and conduct. We can trust it. And as we're doers of the word, which we're going to finish this service with Matthew chapter 7. But I wanted to read this to you about how God wants us to make a trade today. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Casting all your cares, all your worries and anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Listen, this is a reminder that time spent in worry is wasted time. It's unnecessary. The time spent in anxiety could better be spent invested in Bible reading, prayer, praising God, waiting upon him for direction, and casting down imaginations, right? I'm not suggesting that we get in denial about or ignore the problems. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver them out of them all. He will deliver them out of them all. And it just puts us in the understanding that this is a fallen world. It's fractured. The world is groaning. And the truth be told from Romans 8, even we in ourselves groan. Because we're not fully, uh, we haven't fully arrived yet. Paul the Apostle even said, not that I've attained it or I've already been made perfect. He said, but there's one thing I do. Forgetting those things which lie behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're fixing our eyes on Jesus today. That's what we're doing. We're in church. Why are we here? Well, it's Lenten season. I thought I should beef it up a little bit. You know, I quit, I quit uh, eating chocolate, but now they've got 28,000 chocolate eggs at my church, so now it's tempting, you know. But what are we doing here? We're presenting ourselves to God, and we are the believers that shall not be moved. And just like the time Jesus said on the Sea of Galilee, let's go to the other side, and they got on that little fishing boat, there are archaeologists in Israel at the, at the base. There was, a, there was a drought, and the waters had ebbed back so far in Galilee that they noticed something sticking out of the mud. And they found a, uh, a fishing boat from 2,000 years ago that uh, was from the era of Peter and the sons of Zebedee and that fishing period 
when Jesus would go into boats and preach. So it's, it's plausible and, 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 and potential that that could actually be uh, one of those boats. It could, you know, could or could not be Peter's boat, but it was probably like that. And he got in one of those boats, so let's go to the other side. And then a storm kicked in. Now, we had an Israeli live with us when we first got married. I don't recommend that, by the way, <laughs> that anybody live with you when you first get married. He was a great guy, but he, he said, oh, every night, he, every night in the afternoon, the, the, when the weather, uh, when the sun goes down, it gets cool really fast, and then winds come flowing through. It's predictable, he said, because he, he was Jewish, and he became a Christian, and he said, he didn't know. He said, well, they would know that this, the wind blows so hard at this particular time. Well, Jesus did know that. But he said, we're going to go to the other side anyway, in spite of it, right? The winds blow, the waves crash, and, and the rains fall, right? But yet, God cares for us. A stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Then he fell asleep on a pillow. And the, the water started to fill the boat up. And the disciples woke Jesus up with a most insulting question. Master, don't you care that you were perishing? Now, he came to seek and save that which is lost. And the word care, that Peter was there. He might have been the one that posed the question. He was definitely one of them. Don't you care that we're perishing? Do you know the whole reason Jesus came was because he cared and didn't want us to perish? That's one of the most insulting statements from disciples that's ever been uttered. But before we get all, hold these guys in contempt and go, you guys were off. It's like, <laughs> how much do we whine? How freaked out do we get? And when, when yet, he who believes on this solid stone, tested stone, costly cornerstone, firmly placed, how anchoring, how settling, how solid, how stable. Listen, he rebuked the wind and the sea, and he said, peace be still. I still hear him say that in my life. I hear him say that in your life. Hush, be still. You know, we, when, when, kids are, when kids are trying to put babies to bed, shh. Hush, be still. And then look what happened after this in verse 40. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. That's at the words of the master. Then he says this in verse 40. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? He was hit. They called him teacher. What had he been teaching him? He had been teaching him how faithful God is and how trustworthy he is and how, how much he, he, they're loved by him and how he's the healer and the savior and the deliverer and a very present help in trouble. You just heard Lisa sing it. They needed Lisa and the band there on the edge of the Jehovah Jireh, you know, and then Bobby up there going, you know, and then blowing up his amp afterwards just for some dramatic. But, but then he said, then they asked, they, in verse 41, they were scratching their heads. They became very afraid and said, who is this? And, and even the wind and the sea obey him. Guys, this shows and it pulls the veil back and gets, gives us a glimpse at how big our God is, how much he cares for us. And remember, 
The disciples said, don't you care that we're perishing? It was insulting. He says, well, don't, don't you, you know, look, look at the next verse, verse 30, 39. He, he said, peace be still. And then he said, why are you afraid? Go ahead to the next one, 40. He said, uh, wait, go back to 38. <laughs> it's, it's all so good. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You know, God has not given us a spirit of fear, and since he hasn't, let's, uh, let's root it out today. Yeah. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Yeah. I talked to somebody yesterday while we were working out, young young person, teenager, said he's dealing with anxiety. I said, anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Now, I'm not glib. I'm not up here candy-coating things. I'm preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus. He is the Savior. Uh, there's, there's a necessity for us to humble ourselves and to repent. There's a necessity for us to follow through and be doers of the word. And, and, and uh, in its totality, we're, we're endeavoring to study, to show ourselves approved to God as workmen who need not to be ashamed, handling accurately, rightly dividing the word so we can stand in these times. How many kids do you guys have now? You have Theo, you have Camden, and you have Remy. Three. You glad I counted? You, whenever you go anywhere now, you have to do a head count. After two, do a head count. Because we drove off and we left Kingston. We left him in bed asleep, and then we left him here uh, one time at church. But it all turned out. You can call the Department of Family Services if you want. He's already, now he's a dad. And we went back and got it. But you got to do it. Everybody say, do a head count. And uh, hallelujah. No, we didn't. We, we, were, we weren't even in the mailbox. We, we forgot Kingston. <laughs> Kingston must have some amazing angels because. Yeah. He was with Randy Travis. We were visiting. Randy Travis was here in the bus, and we drove off, and, and the driver said, Hey, y'all, uh, there's a red-headed kid here. <laughs> so, ah! Hey, King, what, where were you? Come on. Right? Come on, I told you to come. I thought you were behind me. Patsy was at, we were at a restaurant by the ocean, and it was one of those outdoor showers, and there was this big islander-looking guy, and he was walking along, and he had a little bitty mini-me little islander-looking guy that was walking just like the dad, and, and, and he was about 15 feet behind the dad, and the dad, was, the dad was walking up to the shower, and there were people everywhere, and my wife looked at me and said, that man, look at him. He, he's not even paying any attention to that baby. I said, that man knows exactly where that baby is right now. She goes, you, the men, that's, wives don't do that. I said, no, they don't, but, 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 but watch. And, and, and he went like this. He went. And the kid ran up to him, right? But I do think I'm the one that was driving the car when I went from Kingston and then when I left for the both times. So to your point, maybe I'm not always so right. 
But I'll tell you what, the Heavenly Father is always, He guides us with His eye upon us, and He's always available to help in the time of need. He doesn't peel off when you're failing and doesn't come when you're performing best. He's there for us through high times and hard times. My Bible says in Hebrews 13, 5, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He is faithful to a thousand generations. He said, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. You might be feeling extraordinarily depressed. I'm telling you, he's near the brokenhearted and he'll scoop you up out of the pit. He's good at doing it. You may have been unusually anxious and worried. I'm telling you, there's a cure. Whoever believes in him will not be disturbed. And I believe those disturbances that keep reverberating toward us, keep pounding us, we just are going to trust God that he cares for us. The second word, mellow, it's mellow, not meno. Mellow, it means, uh, it's a verb which means to be concerned about or interested in. To be concerned about or interested in. God is aware of you. He knows you're down sitting and you're uprising. He knows the number of hairs on our head, which to me is of no consequence, but he makes a point. I know the details of your life on the, what seems to be insignificant, but actually with God, he has the extraordinary capacity to know all about us all the time. I know he's watching over the church in the Ukraine right now. He's tending to each individual. Probably terrific miracles are happening that won't be announced on the news, but God is, be sure of it, tending to his people. We can trust him. We can trust him through this Economy. We could trust him through a pandemic. We could trust him with our children. I'm proud and honored to have kids that are birthing kids in, this, in today's world. Why would I bring a kid into the world right now? I'm, I'm from the baby boom where people got encouraged to have babies. There was a lull because of world war and the crazy chaos. But then after a while, hope stirred. Well, it's one thing for that, but it's another thing when people are motoring through high times or hard times. And that's what a believer does. He believes in it. They'll not be moved. Listen, God doesn't want us to carry worries, anxieties, and insecurities anymore about him. He wants us to cast them all on him because your well-being matters to him. Don't carry unnecessary burdens. The Lord invites you to shift them completely unreservedly unreservedly on him. He has a 2,000 year head start on you when it comes to burden bearing, yoke destroying. Uh, He can be trusted. You cast your cares on him. I'm going to close with Matthew chapter 7. Are you guys up for one more area of scripture? My goal is to strengthen your faith. So why are you afraid? What did he say in Mark? He said, why are you afraid? Um, Your faith faith needs to be the weapon that helps put you over in this situation. See, what I'm looking for right now, I'm not looking for the other shoe to drop. I'm looking for a revival. I'm looking for a harvest. I'm looking for my neighbors to get saved. I had some of my neighbors here this morning. I'm believing for all my, I love my neighbors. And I'm believing God for my neighbors to come to the Lord. 
I'm believing God for my city to be unusually touched by the Holy Spirit, the bi-state area filled with the glory of God, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. I'm believing God for your households, and we spend time, we spend time praying for you, lifting you guys up. Jesus really loves you, and he really cares for you. He has something to say about ordering our steps and leading. I believe it's his will that we're here today. I believe it's his will you're online watching this right now. And uh, there, there's something that, there's something faith building that God's about to sow in you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, shows a contrast between the, the foundations. And while you're turning there, 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, there's only one foundation, and that's Jesus. That's the best way to build your life. And he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, the rock of the revelation that Jesus is the Lord. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the, wind, the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew. And slammed against the house. And yet, everybody say, and yet. It did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Can I just tell you, my testimony is that I'm here by the grace of God, and the Lord has helped me, helped my wife. We've weathered one thing after the other. The rain, the floods, the winds, slamming against the house. Just the wide-eyed idealism, going into something all excited, Bam! Sucker punched again and again. And yet, I would have despaired unless I had believed I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So, it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Contrast, though, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them. Pay attention to that, because we're going to get back to that in a second. Uh, will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Now look what it says. Similarity to the man, the, both houses. The rain fell. Say that, the rain fell. The floods came. The winds blew. Uh, and it slammed against that house. Boom! It fell, and great was its fall. So now we have to go back and see what prevented the fall of the house, and it was not just hearing the word, because it says in James 1, we're to be hearer, not, we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only, where it just stops with we hear it and we don't intend to act on it. What God's called us to do is, if the Bible says pray, we pray. If the Bible says serve, we serve. If the Bible says husbands love your wives, we love our wives. If the Bible says treat your wives as a fellow heir of the grace of life, then our, we, our treatment uh, adopts to that and we conform to that. If the Bible says we repent, then we repent. If the Bible says humble ourselves, we humble ourselves. If the Bible says give, we give. If the Bible says share the gospel, we boldly preach. And, and we do what the Bible says. To, if the Bible says forgive, we no longer carry a grudge. Yeah. You know, and if, if the Bible warns us about the flesh and getting angry, anger of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. How many of you have been angry? It's, it's a normal emotion. It, all of us have. Let's be honest. It's not in and of itself bad. But he says, be angry and sin not. So boy, you know, 
That's why the Bible says be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I don't have time to turn to it, but you should read the first chapter of the book of James because it tells us that we've got to look in the mirror of the word and not go away and forget what kind of people we are. This warns us of spiritual amnesia where we're forgetful hearers. We, we must not become forgetful, and, and we need to be mindful. How, how many of you have ever used sticky notes to remind yourself of, a, of, a, of a, an appointment or something like that? At this point, I'm not, it's not, they're not good enough. I get an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and write in bold letters with a Sharpie and stick it right where uh, I, I, I'm going to find it on the coffee maker. Because I know I'll be there. And then it's like, oh yeah, I've got an appointment. And we've got to stir each other up by way of reminder. That's really what's happening in church today. I I know that I'm I'm stirring up your sincere minds by way of reminder. I know some of you may have, you're in a journey where you're exploring the faith. You may have never come to know Jesus yet. And I'm aware of you. And I'm believing God. You get a breakthrough where you understand living for Jesus is worth it. It's the most vital and wonderful and breathtakingly great adventure you could ever have. No, it does not exempt you from problems, but God gives you equipment so you could overcome. And God will help you to be more than a conqueror and see you through and get you through to the other side so you can live out your days. I preached myself happy there. I got a buzz. I think that was dopamine or serotonin or something. No, serotonin makes you go to sleep. No, I don't have that. Some of you, I gave you that, so I better hurry up. All right. So Matthew 7, and some of the other translations, when it says about being a doer of the word, that may seem a little bit vague to us, but J.B. Phillips translated it this way, and puts them into practice. I'm going to be a doer of the word. I'm going to follow through on what he says. Uh, Another uh, translation says, and acts accordingly. So I see it. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to build my, life, build my life on Jesus. I'm going to train up my kids on the way they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart forever. I'm going to trust God that they're going to walk with you, even if they go wayward. And since many of them do, I had a testimony up in the children's area north from a lady who came across the parking lot, told me about how a prodigal came home. And then that prodigal wanted to tell some of her prodigals about how he had been a prodigal away from God and he came back. And they were getting ready to leave. It was at the end of the meal. And he said, hey, just give me a minute. And he had drifted away for 20 years or so. And he came back. And they were right in their early drifting. And so this, the drifter came back. And the, the driftees were having to be there. And that God used the drifter to preach to the driftees, don't drift, come back. I can't repeat that, but it was awesome. Thank you. It's my fan base over there. I love you. Okay, so he talks about wisdom as prudence or thoughtfulness. New New English Bible says he is like a a man who had sense to build his house on rock. I think it speaks to us right now. You've got the good spiritual intelligence to go for, for the gospel and get in the word of God, which is anchoring, and the hope that he produces and no, it's not just some glib, super, superficial thing that comes and goes. This is 
time-tested, well-worn, faithful to the core. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. He's the costly chief cornerstone, firmly placed for what? For a foundation. For whom? All of us. That whoever steps over off the shaky ground gets on that solid footing. Whoever builds a life on him can cast our cares and worries. And I love it that the apostle Peter is the one who said, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Because he was in the boat questioning, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? See the contrast? It makes perfect sense that God would drill that down into that disciple where he comes back and goes, yeah, I questioned that and my faith was weak and my fear was high. But oh, on another occasion, did you ever read about how he was walking on the water and I went out and walked on the water and I saw the, I looked at all the waves, sea, winds, rain and everything and I started to sink, but then he picked me up and walked me back to the boat. Who's glad for that? How many of you had God literally pull you out of the pit and walk you back to the boat, get you out of the soup, get you out of the weirdness, get you out of the crud, even self-imposed and turn things around? Who's glad for that? Who is, who's happy in this place? Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Who, who would say the joy of the Lord is your strength? And you may go, Pastor Jeff, this is one of the most depressing seasons. Look, there was a woman here whose husband just died. She was crying hot tears while she was worshiping Jesus. Tears of love and joy for the Lord. She goes, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. But also she's going through her grief process. It's two kinds of tears at the same time. I just, I, when I looked at her, it wasn't like, oh, you poor thing. I didn't feel pity. I felt like I got to get some of that. I went over and I grabbed her and I just thought, God, because I'm watching you so near the brokenhearted. I just want to get, I want to get in on this because you're helping this lady through what is one of the hardest things she's ever faced. And that God is my God. And I told this teenager yesterday, you know, get in the word and stand on the promises of God. Get it in your spirit. That's the cure for anxiety. That you spend, you go in, you go in and see how faithful he is. And you read about how God has been so good to people, right? Let's all stand up on our feet. It's time to, it's time to get ready to go. But when we build our house on this firm footing, how who, in this section... How many of you have been through a thing or two? Let me see your hands. I mean, Jordan and her sister here lost not only her dad, but then her mom. And they were two stellar, amazing, interesting Christians. I remember standing by your dad he, over here. He was, and it was like this with this lady over here. He was worshiping God. He was going through a cancer battle. And he was in such an anointing. And he was so worshipful. I just stood there. I felt I stood at attention. At, a, at someone who's standing bravely and facing life without self-pity and without refraining, not holding back, not blaming God, but running to God, even in the midst of the hardest trial. Who in here is grateful? Then your sweet mom. And how old are you, Jordan? How, how old are you? How old's your brother? The one that looks like Jesus. 23. He's got a long beard and long hair. Looks, like, he, he, He's not here today because he knows he's going to get cast as Jesus for Easter. 
You got you to watch out if you have long hair in here. You, you will be cast as a biblical character. But wait a minute. Even if you have no hair, you're being cast as a biblical character in this place. Oh, I set myself up for that. Look at somebody next to you and say, you're being cast as a biblical character. You'll be Moses. Just kidding. By that I mean the characteristics of a Bible-based life, right? So today's a new day. Today, you know, if you're, if you're not particularly enthusiastic about certain aspects of your life, you trust God for mercy. You say, Lord, I repent and I submit to you. And if you get cocky, you can say, God, you know what, by the way, I'm not all that. I humble myself. When you start thinking you're a little bit better than everybody else, spiritual pride's the weirdest stuff. We've got to humble ourselves. So I'm, I'm apart, you, you have to say this, apart from you, I could do nothing. And then when you feel beaten down and like circumstances are defeating you, you could say, I can yet do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see the beautiful point counterpoint of that? Let's all lift up our hands as a collective, as a body. If you're not a believer, I want to encourage you to put your trust in God and surrender your life to Jesus. Organize your commitments in the direction of serving Jesus Christ. Ask him to come in. Ask him to forgive you of your sins because you definitely have them and you want him to take them. He bore them on the cross and that he will set that situation completely right and make you right with God. In case you have sickness or disease in your body, I believe in God right now for the healing power of the healer to move mightily into your situation. Your immune system, your joints, your back, your thinking processes, your hearing, your sight, your the female stuff, prostate stuff, all the guy, all the gal, every, every nook and cranny from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, by Jesus' stripes, healing. We come against this stupid barrage of COVID-19, 20, 21, whatever, whatever garbage is generated by whomever or whatever. We thank you that you're the Lord that heals us. You're our protector. And I'm trusting you to keep us alive long enough to fulfill the calling that's on our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. God bless you guys. Go out with joy. Build your house on the rock. Hallelujah.